So we're going to do it a little different tonight, no fill in the blank, and uh, uh, this is going to be a, a just kind of go through the passage, talk as I go, and uh, we'll see how it goes. I enjoy this kind of teaching. Sometimes it's a little harder to hold your attention, but I'll work at it diligently, and, uh, and so you'll maybe have to work at it too. Colossians 1, 15 through 18, uh, he is the image. This is a fairly t- technical section about Christ. He is the image. Oh, look at there it is. He is the image, speaking of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him and through uh, by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is also head of the body, the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that, he, him, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. So this little passage has uh, hours and hours and hours of theology in it, in the sense of teaching all that's there. It's a bunch of information all packed together in a small amount of area, and so I'm just going to give you 30 minutes of it. And so we'll look at it verse at a, at a time. So verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. He is the image. So the Trinity, as much as we try to explain it, is a mystery. We won't get it until we get to heaven and, and understand with our glorified bodies. But there are three distinct personalities in the Trinity, Jesus, the Father, and the Son, and they are so intent on one purpose, so much in agreement, they're like one, but they are three. And so the three persons of the Trinity have roles or responsibilities that several verses uh, declare that they sort of, before the foundation of the world, before anything existed, the beginning when nothing existed, not even a single cell atom, not an angel, nothing. There was, everything was created except for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So at some point, nothing existed except the Trinity. And at that point, when things were planned out, roles were assigned as it were. Jesus is the one who came to the, to the earth. And so he is the one who became the visible image of God in the sense that's who people on the earth saw him and when we get raptured we will see Jesus we're gathered in the air with Jesus we will have bodies it says that are exactly like the body that Jesus has uh, we will be like him and so he is the image of the invisible God the invisible God the father whom we can't see the firstborn of all creation second Corinthians Four, four. In whose case the God of this world, that's speaking of uh, Satan, that's little g, the God that's running, operating this world now, has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they might not see, see, understand, comprehend the light of the gospel. The gospel doesn't make sense to them. Of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, the image of God. So they don't understand the gospel, they don't understand Jesus, because the God of this world, Satan, 
is confusing their thinking. He's blinded their minds. John 1.18, no one has seen God at any time. No one has ever seen the Father. The only begotten God, that's Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him or he has manifested him. He is, and as he lived his life, uh, he explained God's character by the way he lived, by what he taught and, uh, and what people saw. Philippians 2, 6, who although he, Jesus, existed in the form of God, he was God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. And so Jesus was equal with the Father, was in the beginning with the Father, but he did not regard that position something to be held on to, but he emptied himself. He became flesh just like you and I. Hebrews 1, 3, and he is the radiance of his glory. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of the Father, the exact representation of his nature. He is just like the Father and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And so there was a separation for a time, as it were, where Jesus came down here, lived his life in the physical, in, the, in a physical body. And when he had made purification for sins, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and now he is at the right hand, the majesty of the Father on high. <clears throat> Romans 8, 28, for those whom he foreknew, by the way, uh, you ever get confused about predestination and election? Uh, this passage, there's several others that go along with this, and it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Foreknew, one of the things that we don't understand about God is that he uh, knows the end from the beginning. God has no sense of time. He lives in all of it at once as it were. And so he know, knew before uh, years before I was born, who I was, and he knew what I would do once uh, I was exposed to the gospel. And you as well. So, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, to the image of his son, conformed to the image of his son, that is that we would be like him, not only physically, in our glorified body, but in our character. He does everything to conform us to the Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. <clears throat> so, PowerPoint person, if we can go back to the um, verse 15 of uh, Colossians 1. just to the single verse. He, the one that says, he is the image of the invisible God, the first, there you got it, okay. The firstborn of all creation. So, the single most often taught heresy from the founding of the church until today, if you were to read church history and say, what heresy was taught more than any other heresy? The number one heresy that has been repeated over and over and over again, there were errors in the church where it became rampant, is that Jesus was created, that he is not equal with the Father. 
He was created. It's called Arianism. There was an early church father that taught that Jesus was created. And this word firstborn is one of the references that they used to say that. So it's important that we understand what that means. What does that mean? I'm going to tell you. So when uh, John the Baptist died, where did he go? Did he go to heaven? Did he go to hell? Did he just go to sleep? Or is there a fourth answer? So here's key thing. If you remember the story of Lazarus that Jesus tells in the Gospels, not the Lazarus that he raises from the dead, but another Lazarus and the rich man. Lazarus dies, and it says he's carried away to the bosom of Abraham. And then the rich man dies, and he goes to hell. But they can see each other. You ever read that passage and wonder? Think, boy, heaven and hell are kind of close together. You can see each other. So here's the principle. Before Jesus paid the penalty of our sins, no one was in the presence of the Father. No one was in heaven. No one could get to heaven until sin had been paid for, which didn't happen until after Jesus rose from the dead. And so everyone who died before Jesus rose from the dead went to a place called paradise. And paradise and Hades were close together. They were both in the center of the earth. When uh, Saul in the Old Testament is getting really uptight about going to war and Saul, uh, Samuel has died and he wants to get some counsel from his prophet Samuel so he finds this witch called the witch, witch of Endor and he says, would you call Samuel back from the dead for me, please? Now, she's sort of a fake. She doesn't really think she can do it but she prays and calls for Samuel and indeed he comes back. It scares the wits out of the witch of Endor. She's like, whoa. And uh, so if you remember reading that passage, where does Samuel come from? The east, the west, the north, the south? It says he come, comes up out of the ground. Why does he come up out of the ground? Did he go to hell? No, paradise is in the center of the earth. And so when he comes back to talk to Saul, he comes up out of the earth. He comes alive. So there's four passages, and I didn't print those for you, but you may remember them. It says that when Jesus entered glory, when he rose from the dead, it says that he led with him a host of captives. He led with him a host of captives, those who were in paradise, Adam, Eve, Seth, Noah, all those dudes were not in heaven. They were in paradise. But when Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven, he took all those people, he emptied paradise out. No one left there. So who was the first person who ever died to enter into heaven? Jesus. He was the first one 
who entered into heaven, into the temple of God, uh, someone who had died. So his title is Firstborn, meaning he was the first one entering into glory. Uh, doesn't mean that he was created by God. It's a title that he was first resurrected, as it were, first in heaven with the Father, and he led all these with him, all those who were in paradise over all these years, uh, into the glory of heaven. And in fact, it says that there, in Psalms, there's a couple of prophecies about that. And it says it was actually sort of like a parade as Jesus enters into glory with all these believers over the years following with him. And they enter with a big parade and a celebration as they enter into the glory of heaven. Um, so when you die, paradise is no longer in the center of the earth. It's in heaven. We go to heaven. Our spirits go to heaven. We don't get our glorified body until the rapture. And I don't know what your spirit's going to look like. Uh, I've never seen one described in the Bible. Uh, you may be, look like you do now. You may look like you will then. You may look like a slug. <laughs> I don't know what you look like. But you will be a living, uh, thinking, communicating being. The real us is on the inside. We just don't have a physical manifestation of that until the rapture of the church. So he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn of all creation. So every time you read that phrase, firstborn of all creation, understand that it means he's the first one to enter into the temple of God in heaven that had died. And once he entered, then after that, it was, everyone was free to enter in after him. Romans 8.28 again. I'm making it tough. There we go. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he, Jesus, would be the firstborn among many brethren. Firstborn brethren, that's us, his brothers and sisters. He would be the first to enter into glory that had died and enter into the presence of God. And then after that, all those uh, would, would be following with him. Colossians 1.18, he is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. There it's a little clearer, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. He is the beginning, the beginning of what? He's the beginning of the church. He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, firstborn, first resurrected, first in heaven that had died in his glorified body. Number six, uh, verse 16, I, I went to 18 because it illustrated 15. We'll come back to 18. Verse 16, for by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. So three roles, the Father... He creates. How does he create? He spoke. By faith we believe that the worlds that we now see were, came into existence by the Father speaking. He spoke it into existence. He said. So the Father speaks. What does Jesus do? 
He's the carpenter, the builder, the one who puts it all together. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, or authority, that's angels and, and uh, all the principalities. Jesus is the one who created them all. The Father is the one who spoke it, commanded it. And the role of the Holy Spirit is he's the finished carpenter. He makes all things beautiful in Genesis chapter 3. And so they each have a distinct role in what they do in the creation process. The Father spoke it, Jesus did it, and the Holy Spirit finished it. They each had their role and it says, By him, Jesus, all things were created both in the heavens, on earth, visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Uh, he is the creator. And then John 1.13, all things came into being through him. All things came into being through him. Apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. Verse 17, he is before all things, which means nothing existed, not an atom, not an angel. He is before all things with the Father, and, all, and in him all things hold together. All things hold together. So, I'm going to attempt to do this as a preacher, not a scientist, not a science teacher, someone who watched an 18-minute YouTube video on atoms. I'll attempt to remember what I watched on the YouTube video. I'm a collection of atoms. You are as well. Uh, molecules, water, H2O, that's predominantly what I am, carbon, all these various molecules made up of atoms. And an atom, you all remember this probably? There's the nucleus, the center, that's like the sun of the universe, and then the planets go around it, uh, which are the electrons. The nucleus is made up of protons and neutrons. Protons are positive charge. Neutrons are neutral. Electrons going around the outside like stars are negative charge. And so every element has a different number of protons and neutrons, neutrons in the nucleus, and they're the same number, and the same number of electrons for every positive, there's a negative. And so as you look at an atom, if you were to blow it up, uh, it would be mostly space. Do you ever wonder how your cell phone can go through the wall of your house? That's because the atoms of which everything is made up of are mostly space, just like our universe. The sun, and then you got these planets. There's all kinds of space in between. The same thing is true of an atom. You got the nucleus of protons and neutrons, and then around it you have these electrons going in orbit. And uh, so the question is, what keeps the electrons from flying off in space? Same thing our Earth is. It's the gravity of the sun that holds the Earth in orbit. It's the electromagnetic pull of the nucleus that keeps the electrons in orbit and their speed in which they travel fast keeps them from being sucked into the to the center so you have this balance of the pull 
and the speed of the electron that keeps them in orbit and all these bazillions of atoms all have these electrons spinning um, very rapidly around a center and the question now is the protons and the neutrons what keeps them stuck together and if you have like uranium that has a large number why don't they just drift apart sure. <laughs> so you read that and they have this term uh, several of them one of them is called atomic glue atomic glue what's atomic glue nobody really knows but it keeps the protons and the neutrons all stuck together in the center of an atom and while these electrons spin around the outside and so I'm got billions of these you do as well we walk around mostly air space in us but this atomic glue holds the protons and the neutrons together what is that no one has a clue but I do in the beginning, um, excuse me, uh, verse 7, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. Back up there, verse, uh, verse 17, I started. There you go. In Him all things hold together. All things hold together. What's that mean? He is the atomic glue. Jesus holds it all together. These protons and these neutrons and these electrons and this physical body and the trees and the stars and the dirt and the water all made up of atoms of various uh, sizes and weights and he holds it all together how much power does it take to do that he got me but way more than we have it's a lot John 1 1 and 2 in the beginning was the word in the beginning, that's Jesus, that's before anything existed, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, Abraham was born, I am. And so Jesus says, I was before Abraham, I was before everything. Verse 18, He is also head of the body, the church. He is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. The church, he is the head of the body, the church. Ephesians 1.22, and he put all things in subjection under his feet, under the feet of Jesus, he gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So some of you have heard me teach on this before, but it's important that we get this because this is one of the most misunderstood, misapplied truths in the New Testament, that Jesus uh, is the head of the body, which is the church, his body. So that term, body of Christ, doesn't mean... Uh, me pointing to Patty, my wife, and saying, body of D. If I said body of D, pointing to my wife, I would be saying, that's the body which belongs to D, uh, in a sense, if I can be sort of, you know, my wife. Or I can say, body of D. 
That's the body which is D. So when we read the term body of Christ in the New Testament, what's it saying? Is it saying the body which belongs to Jesus or the body which is Jesus? One is called the of of ownership. The of the other is called the of of identification. So we tend to think, because we don't really get it, that when we hear the term body of Christ, we're talking about something out there that Jesus owns, belongs to him, the body which belongs to him, rather than the body which is Christ. What the phrase means, the body which is Christ. So, the incarnation, the word incarnation comes from a couple of Greek words that means Jesus became flesh. And so when he was walking around here on the planet Earth for 33 years, uh, and if somebody said, where's Jesus? You would point at his physical body. There's Jesus. Was he multi-places? No, that's Jesus. That's where he was. So we'll call that body one. He is now sitting at the right hand of the Father, And the church is the body of Christ, the body which is Christ. So the church is body two. Body two. We are the physical presence of Jesus Christ on the earth in the same way that Jesus the man was the physical presence of Jesus on the planet earth. I'll say that again. We are the physical presence of Jesus He is in the church, ministering through the church. Uh, And so the term body of Christ is an incredibly important word in the sense of who we are in relationship to the church and our love for the church, our devotion to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, For even as the body is one, Jefferson Baptist Church, is one, talking about physical body and the church, is one, and yet has many members. I have a hand, I have an eye, I have an ear, I have a head, I have a liver. I have one body, but many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. So notice that. So also is Christ. Christ is the body, And there are many members in the body, for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, we are all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they, were, if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members, one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which seem to be weaker, are necessary And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, 
giving more abundant honor to that member which lacks so that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body, individually members of it. We are the body of Christ, and I am a part, and you are a part. Our church is a physical presence of Jesus on the planet Earth. So I'm going to look at another passage, which is the second most misinterpreted passage in the whole Bible. Most of you have, have misinterpreted uh, it uh, because you were taught to do it that way. Way back when the translators translated the King James Bible, you take the Greek into English or sometimes when you don't know exactly what it means and so you have to make an interpretation of what it means and then would interpret it accordingly. And what they decided way back in 1611 often gets carried through as theology because of the way they did it. And so here's an example. 2 Corinthians 5:15. He died. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for Jesus, who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Okay, now zero in on that little phrase. We have known Christ. We have known Christ, known, past tense, we have known Christ. He was physical on this planet as a man. Yet we now know him in this way no longer. We no longer know him in this way. Why? He went to heaven. He went to heaven. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, now see the next two words. He is, you don't see it here, but if you get your Bible and look at those words, what do they look like? They're italicized. Why? That means that when they translated the Greek from the English, those two words were not in the Greek language. The translators supplied them. They added them to communicate what they thought the passage was saying. Way back in 1611, that decision was made and it was carried over into the New American Standard of which I'm using and most other translations as well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, so leave out those two words, he is. If anyone is in Christ, a new creature, that word creature, uh, if you look at the Greek word and how it's mostly translated, it's almost always translated uh, creation or being. So we read that, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Do you hear people say that all the time? I'm in Christ, I'm a believer in Jesus, therefore, I'm a new person, brand new. And you say, where did you get that? 2 Corinthians 5. If therefore anyone is in Christ, leave out the he is. A new creature, a new body. Old things passed away. What is the old things? Now, if 
you take the traditional teaching, old things would be all me, all my old habits and sins and stuff. But let me suggest to you that more accurate translation would be old things passed away would be Jesus walking around on the planet Earth. So that's how we started. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him this way no longer. That's all things passed away. We don't know Jesus that way any longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new body, old things passed away, that's Jesus walking around in the flesh. New things have come. What's the new thing? The church. The church. Jesus in the flesh, body one. The church, the body of Christ, body two. This passage is teaching us that we don't know Jesus in the flesh any longer the way he was because Old things passed away. New things have come. The new thing is that the church is now the body of Christ. So let me read it again and listen with that, uh, with that view. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, from this point on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. We have in the past known Jesus as a physical person, yet now we know him this way, in this way, no longer. Therefore, and whenever that's there, there's a connection. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, a new body, Old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ, gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ when he was a physical man. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore... Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. In the same way God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, he is now in us, making an appeal through us. We are the body of Christ, not the body which belongs to Christ, the body which is Christ. He is in us collectively, working through us, communicating to the world through us. We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were in us, reconciling the world through us. So, what does that mean, practically speaking? What it means is that uh, you, in a very real sense, are Christ to me. You're his eyes, his ears, his feet, his hands. I am part of that. And together we are the body of Christ, God in us, reaching the world through us. 
So the biggest problem that the church, modern church has are people like you and I who have a low view of the church. The average Christian looks at their church like a glorified Fred Meyer store. It exists to meet my needs, and if it doesn't do a good job, I'm going to go to Target. Uh, we don't recognize that our church is the body of Christ, the body which is Christ. And so when Jesus was walking around as a man on the planet Earth, how could you tell if an individual was a follower of Jesus? Well, when you saw Jesus, you saw Peter. When you saw Jesus, you saw John. And if Jesus turned right, they turned right. If he turned left, they turned left. The physical body of Jesus was the point at which disciples focused on. That was Jesus. Now Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Old things passed away, new things have come. There's a new body. Body one was Jesus, the physical man. Body two is the church. And so our commitment to our church is our commitment to Jesus. Our love for our church is our love for Jesus. The problem we have, as I look out and I see Adam, he's got some issues, you know that? I see John, he's got some too. James, oh wow, I can't even get started. We see people that are like we are, that we all sin, we do things, and so as the church, you ever hear of anybody who says, you know, the church is full of hypocrites? Sure it is. I'm a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, we're all hypocrites. All that means is that we don't live what we say we believe. Um, I've got problems, you've got problems. I tell fish stories, you tell some other kind of story. Uh, so when we look at the church, instead of seeing what Jesus sees, we see us. And we don't have the faith to be able to see beneath the surface and see. So someday the church is going to be presented to Jesus in all of her glory, without spot, wrinkle, or blemish, the eternal companion of Jesus. Uh, we're going to live with him forever and ever and ever. When God the Father said uh, to Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone, I will create a helper suitable for him, that was a purpose statement, a prophecy statement about his own son. Adam is a type of Christ. It's not good for Adam to be alone. I'll create a helper suitable for him. And Father saying, I'm going to create a companion for my son Jesus suitable for him. The church was declared to be the purpose, the center of everything God did, the very beginning of creation. And at the end of time in Revelations 20, you have the picture of the wedding of the son and the bride of Christ, the church, and Jesus are wed and companions for all of eternity and he is in the process of creating us and shaping us and molding us and refining us to be his companion forever and ever and ever and ever. When you see the word church in the New Testament, look at the context. The church is the body of Christ, the body which is Christ. The church is the bride of Christ, the eternal companion of Jesus. And so how do you treat his bride how do you function as part of the body? And so you have to look and see what God sees. You have to look and see what Jesus saw in the beginning when he died for the church. He gave his life for the church. Ephesians 5.25 doesn't say Jesus died for you. 
It says, love your wives, husbands, the way Christ loves the church and gave himself up for the church. That it might sanctify the church having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all of her glory without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. And so, uh, with the church, the body, and the bride of Christ, what he gave his life for, what he loves incredibly, and we will be his eternal companion. And so I am now a part of this church. You are now part of this church. We're our hand, a finger, an eye, an ear, a nose, and we need to function we need to function. What makes a healthy church? Same thing that makes a healthy physical body. We're a walking illustration of our church. So if I smash my hand and wrap it all up in a bandage and I cannot cast my fishing rod, I can't cast left-handed to save my life. Uh, I can't cast my fishing rod because my right hand is hurt. I'm still a physical body, but I don't function near like I could, and I'm not near as happy as I could. You don't function. The church is still the church, but it's not what it could be. It's not healthy. A healthy physical body is when all the parts work. An unhealthy physical body is when parts stop working one after the other. Pretty soon you get to a point where you die. And so I want to be a contributing part of the body of Christ. I'm committed to Christ. I love Christ. He's my Lord, my Savior. How do I serve him? By serving his bride, by serving his body. How do I love him? By loving his body, his bride. How am I going to be a, committed to him? By being committed to the church, his bride, his body, whom he gave his life for. 